good to be here with you all. Um, well, we are continuing our study in the book of Ephesians, and we have come upon Ephesians chapter 2. But before we, we look there, I, wanna, I want us to try to put ourselves into the early church. Um, the way that it would be for those in Ephesus and in others in, in, the, in that early church. You have those who were Jews that have converted to Christianity. And for those who are Jews, they, they have very strong feelings of, of what it is to be Jewish. What it is to be a people set apart and a people with, with feasts and ceremonies and sacrifices and laws and all that was a part of, of Judaism and serving the Lord their God. Um, they definitely pulled back from the rest of the world. They didn't associate with those that were the Gentiles, anybody that wasn't Jewish. And so if you picture being in, in church with them and here's a group of people where you wouldn't ever have eaten with Gentiles, right? You never would have had them over to your home. You never would have gone over to that person's home. We're told that, that even if a, a Gentile woman was having a baby, they would not help in those circumstances bringing another Gentile into the world. They wouldn't eat off the same dishes. They ate different foods. They thought so much less of anybody that did not obey those same laws. And, and now they became Christians. Change that's occurred. Radical change that's occurred in their lives. But at the same time, even though they become Christians, it's still Jews and Gentiles. They still thought that way. They, then you take the Gentiles who are there. The Gentiles, they're those, especially the, the, the Romans, they, they looked upon themselves as a, a, a people who were at a higher place than most anybody else. There were those that were a part of that class, and then the rest were barbarians. And you see that used in Scripture frequently, of uh, barbarians. They didn't associate much with the Jews at that time. They had privileges that the rest of society did not have. And so there's this divide that's there between Jews and Gentiles in that church. On top of that, you had the rich and you had the poor. God had brought both and all those that are in between into the church. Big difference between the rich and the poor. Slaves and free. And you would have that within the church as well. Men and women. Roles that are played between men and women was radically different in that particular society than it is today. Um, just as in many countries, you'd find a, a great divide between men and women. I remember going to Pakistan and all the women would sit on one side. All the men would sit on the other side. And that was how it was in every church that we went to. And I'd preach in those churches and 
I remember them coming up to me and saying, okay, you need to know something at these churches. When you preach, you only look at the men. Like, don't, don't look to the side of the church where the women are. Only look at the men. And I'm just thinking, like, okay, I'm, so I'm used to just, you know, talking and looking at both sides. And they're like, no, you pretend like they're not there. Just focus on the side of the church where the men are at. And these are wonderful churches, but definitely a different roles between men and women and the way that they're treated. And so you think of the church at that particular time and you have men, women, Jews, Gentiles, rich, poor, slaves, free, all within the same congregations. And there's major divisions between them all. We think of our church and and we live in Orange County, California, melting pot of, of different races. You look around the church and there's people of all different ethnicities who are here. People of different backgrounds from different states, from different countries, different places in um, finances and white collar, blue collar, all different kinds of people here within our congregation. And men and women and older people and younger people. And the struggles that they had in Ephesus may be, in some respects, different than the struggles that we would have here. Um, Being half Japanese growing up in Mission Viejo, I remember that there were several people within my classes that were of Asian descent. And so it just kind of felt normal until I went and played soccer overseas in countries like England and Scotland and Denmark and Germany and Belgium and Netherlands. And I can tell you in every one of those countries that I went to and played soccer, Austria, wherever it was, I don't think there was ever a time where I went to a country and played in one of those places where I didn't hear from my opposition, Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, it's Bruce Lee. I heard that everywhere I went, Bruce Lee. And I'm like, I will show you Bruce Lee if you keep saying that about me. It was such a strange thing to be in a place where they were so... um, The idea of seeing someone Asian was so foreign to them that they could only assume it was Bruce Lee that had come to their country. And so it was a strange thing being there where I'm used to being in a melting pot of so many different ethnicities to where you feel different. And even to this day, if I go to some other states, I'll feel different where I'm not used to it. I'm not used to having people look at me differently as far as like, oh. But so it's, it's odd when you go to a state and they say things like, are you okay with our food here? <laughs> are you okay to eat our food? And I'm like, I am, I'm, I'm okay, I'm good. Mashed potatoes are fine for me. I'll eat your grits. Um, but where you're at culturally will determine a lot of what you might struggle with. I think it's possible for us, though, to be at a church like ours and think, it's not really a problem here. Race, not a problem. All different kinds of people who are here, 
we get along with everybody. Um, there's no real walls of separation between men and women or ethnicities or classes or whatever it is that we would want to think of. But my encouragement to you, to you this morning is to pray that the Lord would search our hearts. Text in Ephesians chapter 2 here is, is dealing with unity within the body and there not being divisions amongst us. But I think that we have to look at it this morning and say it pertains to, to every area of our lives. That there'd be a precious unity when you look around this congregation, when you see your brothers and sisters who are here. That we'd see each other through the lenses that we find here in Ephesians chapter 2 of what it is to be a Christian rather than through the lenses of whatever our backgrounds might have brought to us. I recognize that that for some here, they may have strong feelings even about certain people groups because of your background, because of the way you were treated. Remember one brother, when I went to Vietnam for the first time to train pastors in Vietnam, dear brother, was in tears at the idea of, of me going there because when he thought of Vietnam, he thought of all the people that he had lost, his friends that he had lost, the people that he had picked up to try to bring medical care to um, off the battlefield. And so it brought immediate emotions to him. And some of you may also have things in your background where you, you think of a, a people group and whether you would recognize it or not, there may be something inside you that at least hesitates for a moment thinks differently for a moment. Um, and my encouragement to each one of us this morning is to be able to pray that the Lord reveals if there is anything regarding where someone has come from, their race, their background, or even anything else that would be used by the enemy to bring division into the body of Christ. Our enemy, the devil, would love to divide our church, wouldn't he? Huge efforts have been made towards that. And I pray that that if there's those that are on the fringe of that, or if we're here and our hearts are in a place of being divided with other churches or with other people or with any within the body of Christ, that we would pause, pray, look at God's word, and that there would be healing and repentance and changes in the way that we see things so that amongst Christians, amongst Christians here at our church, that there would be precious unity that's here for each and every one of us. And so... In Ephesians chapter 2, we have watched the Apostle Paul in just such an awesome way describe what's taken place in our salvation. He makes it very clear that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. All of us were. All of us were dead. And as believers, he has made 
all of us alive in Christ. We once walked according to the course of the world. We once did the things that our enemy desired for us to do. We were children of wrath just as all people were. But God showed mercy to us. And so you picture the church in which Paul is preaching. Jews, Gentiles, men, women, slave, free, rich, poor. And he's saying, for all of us, it's God. He showed mercy. The great love in which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, he made us alive in Christ. Describes this great salvation that we have. Where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then we come to our text in verse 11. Where he says, therefore. Now remember that transition. You always want to go to what was being said before to understand what's going to be said right after that following. He tells us how that we were saved, how we were dead, how we've been made alive, how we were created for Good works according to his workmanship, what God is doing in all of us. I mean, from beginning to, to end of, of our text in Ephesians, it's all been pointing towards this is what Christ has done for you. This is who he has made you. This is who you were. This is what God's done. He gets all the glory. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Stop there for a moment. Back in verse 11, therefore, remember that you, remember your roots, remember where you came from. You were once Gentiles in the flesh. It's who you were, Gentiles. You were called the uncircumcision. That's what they refer to you as. And so we know a little bit in that church of what circumstances were is, well, there's the, those that are part of the uncircumcision. And those who are the circumcised. There's a differentiation between the two of them. That's what you were called. And you were called that by the circumcision. But he makes it very clear that the circumcision was made in the flesh by hands. Those who were circumcised. But that circumcision, what took place was it was a work that was done through people and through hands, a surgery that took place. It wasn't a circumcision of the heart. You're being called the uncircumcision by those that had something done to them as a work of the hands, but not a circumcision of the heart. So that's who you once were, Gentiles in the flesh, called Uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, 
strangers from the covenants of promise. That was the condition that you were. You were without Christ. The Otsuji family came to the United States back in somewhere around like 1904. So it's been 115 years or so. And I think prior to that, what would they have believed? Probably followed the Buddhism that was there prevalent within Japan. A family moves, comes by boat across the Pacific Ocean, finds themselves here on the coast of California, and God working mightily into a, a family and bringing people to salvation, you know, which... I'd be raised in a Christian home. You can think of your circumstances and where you came from. But he's making very clear to them, you were those who were without Christ. You once were a people who you, you didn't believe in Christ at all. There was no hope in a Messiah. There was no belief in Christ. But this is what he's done in your heart. You were being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You, you were aliens to that. Those that were a part of Israel um, were those who had the scriptures. They had the covenants. They had the promises of God. This was their condition and raised Memorizing scripture, knowing scripture, but not the Gentiles. They were aliens to that. They weren't a part of the commonwealth of Israel. They weren't a part of the people of God. You, you think of what it tells us here being strangers from the covenants of promise. God had come to Abram. You remember Genesis chapter 12? Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house to the land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse him who curses you. Covenant that was made. And a covenant that was reiterated over and over again. Israel, you are my people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those who bless you. You are part of the commonwealth of Israel. There's covenants that have been given to you. You are a different people. You are distinct. You are loved. You are given these covenants. You're given these promises. You're given scripture. He's met with them. He's given them the law. He's given them the promises of Messiah who is to come. And Paul is pointing out, you were strangers to that. You were aliens, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants. Now remember that covenant's given to Israel. Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to land I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation. So on and so forth. It finishes that verse after saying, and I will bless those who bless you. I'll curse him who curses you. And then it says, and in you, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All of them. Within that first covenant, there's a promise that's given that is pointing ahead to the Gentiles, they're going to be blessed. 
through you, through the people of God, through the commonwealth of Israel, through these covenants, what is going to take place is the gospel is going to go forth and it's going to go forth to the entire world. This is what's going to take place. And it has. Through the promises that were given to Israel, we've watched God do incredible things around the world. The gospel being proclaimed to the world. They were once strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. They may have believed in gods, but they did not believe in the true and living God. They wanted nothing to do with him. That was their condition. Think of the church in South Sudan where the people there were once worshiping trees. And you see these Christians where once who were animists in a place where there are brothers and sisters in Christ. They love Christ. They know God. They once thought of him as so small. They were once without hope, without God in the world. But now they're in a place where every bit of their hope is in Christ. They know him. They love him. Seeing the change that's taking place. But now, now notice the transition that's there. Verse 13. You once were without hope, without God in the world, but now, in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's a change that has occurred. You once were in this condition, not knowing anything about Christ, not being a part of the commonwealth of Israel, not having the covenants, not having the promises, not being in the place where you have scripture. That was where you once were. You once were strangers and aliens. That was your condition, but there has been something awesome that's happened. But now, in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. There is a unity that is here in this church and here in our church that brings all of us together. You once were afar off, and that's how they would refer to anybody who was not Jewish. You once were afar off, but now you have been brought near. And that has occurred by the blood of Christ. I want us to think that way as a congregation. I want the Lord to do a work in our hearts to where we look around this sanctuary and we see people, maybe of different backgrounds, different circumstances, different ethnicities. And that there is just this precious, sweet unity because we have been brought near to Christ and to one another by the blood of Christ. It eliminates the differences. It changes the way that we think. It changes who we sit next to. It changes who we have over for dinner. It changes the way that we see people. 
We have a dear family in our church, the Vacha family. Amen? If you've met them, awesome, awesome family. Joshua is around my age, a little bit older. Make a note of that. Um, Just a couple years. He loves Christ. He loves you. He serves us as a church weekly. We sit in our staff meetings and it's, okay, this needs to happen. Who's in charge of that? Joshua. How do we change this on the website? Joshua. How do we do this with the emails? Joshua. I mean, Joshua has so many things that he does as he serves our body here as one of our deacons. His wife serves on staff ministering to our congregation. But as far as differences in upbringing, in his roots versus my roots, more likely his roots versus all of your roots, it's very different. He lived in India, grew up in India. His family was a family that established the Zoroastrian temple there in India 160 years ago. He grew up in a place where he'd go to his grandmother's house, which was a mansion, huge staff of butlers and servants and chauffeurs. As the oldest son, he was in line to become that highest part of the priesthood in Zoroastrianism. The amount of wealth, power, influence in that country that he would have had, more than you could ever imagine. His family still very esteemed and in a place where both in the religious and political communities of India, they're very influential. And God saved Joshua. He left all of that. Moved to the United States. Became a Christian. Disowned from his family. Left all that wealth to be, even without a home, with a wife and a daughter and working in a gas station through the nights to try to provide for his family. Left all of that. And desired to follow Christ. Came here. Um, it went back and said to his family, I'll sign over my rights to all of your wealth, whatever you have. I don't want any of it. I just want you to know Christ. I just want you to know Christ. Grew up 13,000 miles away from here. Part of that priesthood family of Zoroastrians in India. And he sits amongst us with his family. And we love him like he's a part of our family. And his family is a part of our family. No differences between the two. We don't see race. We don't see 13,000 miles away. We don't see a difference in upbringing. We don't see through those kind of lenses or those kind of colors because 
We have been brought near together by the blood of Christ. All of us. He's one example. But there's a unity that's here amongst Christians that is there for all of us as we are together. You once were this, but this is what you now are. You once were afar off, but you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace. Who's made both one. And he's broken down the middle wall of separation. So look here at the temple. This dividing wall, this barrier that was there between the courts of the Gentiles and the courts of the Jews. So within the temple, you would have had the Holy of Holies, that holy place where only an assigned priest could go. Once a year, after making a sacrifice for his family, there was this veil that was there about six inches thick. And in that portion of the temple was the Ark of the Covenant and space above which was there was space for the wings of the cherubim mounted over on its cover in a place where God symbolically dwelled. In the innermost court, there's this court of the priests. Only male members of the priestly tribe of Levi could enter into that area. It could only be entered by a male Jew. After that, there was the court of the women, which any Jew could enter and which was called the court of the women because it was as far as a woman could go. Then there was the courtyards. These courtyards that were on the same level, there was a great difference between them and going down five steps. Find a five-foot stone barricade. And you'd go down 14 more steps to what would be called the court of the Gentiles. Josephus, the historian, said that no, in that area, there were signs that said, specifically, no foreigner is to enter within the balustrade and embankment around the sanctuary. We found a sign that said that, not we, but a sign was found in 1871 that said no foreigner is to enter within the balustrade and embankment around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which follows. Gentiles, don't go any further than this or you will die and you'll have only yourself to blame for that. And so now you have the Lord saying here, he himself, Christ, is our peace. Prince of peace. Who has made both one and he's broken down the middle wall of separation. That wall has been destroyed. The enmity, it says, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. That is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, 
thus making peace. He's broken down that division. He's broken down that hostility that was there. It's been destroyed. There's no longer to be sacrifices and feasts and regulations and laws. Christ has destroyed that. He's created in himself one new man from the two. The word new that's used there means a totally and entirely new man. A change that's occurred for us as Christians. Not old men that are made a little bit different, but completely new man. And as a result, there's peace. We're not Jews and Gentiles. We're a new creation in Christ. And he says from there that, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. That hostility, the division, he's put it to death. He came in verse 17 and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. There is a unity that is there for us as believers, brothers and sisters, that is as close as close can be. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it tells us in verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, us, there's a body, there's one, but there's many members. But all members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit. There's unity that is here for us as believers. You hear the Apostle Paul telling those in Corinth, I hear of something that's taking place that in Chloe's household, that there's contentions that are among you. Some of you say, I'm of Paul. Some of you say, I'm of Apollos. Some of you say, I'm of Cephas or I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? What is it that would ever divide us, divide us, separate us from one another? He's saying, weren't we all brought near by the blood of Christ? Were we not all baptized in Christ? Isn't there a unity that is there that there ought not to be contentions among you? Galatians 3.26 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're one. There's a unity that ought to be here for us as believers. He's reconciled all of us together to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death, putting to death any kind of enmity or hostility, tensions amongst us. 
pray that we'd be an example to the rest of the world of what that ought to look like. The way that we see each other. I hear it sometimes. Things being said of. Well, I don't know if I could be a part of that church because there's not enough old people. That's what was once said. And I thought, oh, if you only would have stayed, we got so many old people now. <laughs> Sometimes you hear, well, there's not enough young people in my particular age group. There's not enough that are like me. I don't know that I fit in. I mean, the people that I talk to, there's just differences there. I pray that we wouldn't think that way. Not like the world thinks. It doesn't matter where you got your degree from. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is. It doesn't matter whether you struggle with a handicap or not. It doesn't matter whether you have kids or whether you're married or whether you're single. There's a unity that is here because of the precious blood of Christ that unites us. We see things differently. Every one of us were sinners. Every one of us were dead in our sins and trespasses. All of us were running away from God. All of us wanted nothing to do with him. And the kindness of his Holy Spirit drew us unto himself, made us see him, changed our hearts, made us new creations in Christ, brought us near, reconciled us to the precious blood of Christ through the cross, that we would be one people who see ourselves as one people Not, I'm of this guy, or I'm of that guy, or I'm a part of this division, or I'm a part of that division. But that there would be unity for us as Christians where we look and say, we are Christians. We are the same. We are part of the same family. We see ourselves like that. And God will be glorified through it. There's going to come a day, Revelation 7 tells us that There's a great multitude, which no one can number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. All different kinds of people. Whether you grew up 13,000 miles away in India. Whether you look around this congregation and see anybody that maybe looks like you or not. We're not to be like that. All of us are united in Christ. The unity that's here, we've been washed by the precious blood of Christ clothed in robes of righteousness. I pray that 
we would recognize that that middle wall of separation has been destroyed. It's been destroyed. And that you'd look at one another and think, how can I love that person? How can I serve that person? Lord, change my heart so that there's sweet unity between us because we are the same. We were all running away from you and you brought us near. You've changed us so where there's no barriers that the world puts up. It's different for us. You know that the world puts up barriers. People that hate each other all over the world. But may that not be the case of the church. If people look upon Reverence Bible Church and see the way that we are towards one another and know that they see things differently. It's not based on age. It's not based on color. It's not based on background. It's based on a unity that is there that has been done by the work of the Holy Spirit to bring reconciliation closeness because through him all of us have access by one spirit to the father all of us gospel's precious to us isn't it changed everything for us same holy spirit took Joshua Vacha from where he was at in India and brought him here to be with us, with his family. He's brought others from Lebanon. He's brought some from Asia. He's brought some from Mexico. He's brought some from Europe. He's brought people from all over the place. And he has made one people. One people. We're about ready to partake in communion. And it is something that we all do together, isn't it? One of the most unifying things for us as a church is we come together, we break bread, we take the bread, which represents his body broken for us, and we take it and we break it, and we eat it. Doing this in remembrance of him. Same manner, we take the cup. We take it, represent the new covenant of his blood, precious blood of Christ that brought us near to him, spilled for our sins so that we might have eternal life. And we do this as often as we can, together, as a body, in remembrance of him, proclaiming his death till he comes. As we sing a song of praise and prepare our hearts for communion, may, may there be just an extra special unity that is there for us as, a body, as the body of Christ this morning as we partake. Um, in an incredible thankfulness that we once who were afar off, aliens and strangers, have been brought near through Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've accomplished for us. I love the way, Lord, that you bring 
people to salvation. From all different backgrounds. You told your people to preach the gospel to all nations. To make disciples of all nations. To go even to the uttermost parts of this world proclaiming the gospel because you are a God who saves people. All people of all kinds. And you bring us all together to be a part of your precious body. To be your bride. To be your people. washed in your blood who will spend all eternity together praising one Savior, Jesus Christ. May there be a sweet, sweet unity amongst us. And I pray that if there's anything that has caused division in the way that we see anybody or the way that we see any group of people, please, Lord, destroy that part in our lives that there might be the most precious unity that is amongst us as believers. Because we're united in you. Bless us now, Lord, as we sing praises unto your name together. In Jesus' name, amen.